Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday and welcome to HR Work Break. As part of HR Daily Advisors HR Leadership Week 2023, I'm joined by Curtis Bateman, Vice President of International Direct Offices at Franklin Covey. He's also the co-author of the book, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity, and is an internationally recognized change consultant, business leader, and coach. Curtis, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Sorry the job title such a mouthful, but I'm happy to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. And you don't need to worry about that job title at all because it's honestly just a perfect segue into what we're going to be talking about, which is leadership and change at its core. And the funny thing about change is that it's one of those like inevitably consistent things in life, like you're always going to face change, but it's often an overlooked point of stress in the workplace. Gartner actually found that today's typical organization has undertaken five or so major firm-wide changes in the past three years, and 75% of organizations expect to multiply the types of major change initiatives they'll undertake in the coming years. But when half of these change initiatives fail and only 34% are clear success, clearly change management is a super necessary part of any sort of leadership strategy and business strategy. So just to start our conversation off, what are some best practices leaders should consider during times of change? Yeah, there's a few. And I I love all that data you cited. It just it talks about how integral change is to life, to work, to personal life. And so Let me give you some things that leaders can be doing, but also some things that individuals can be doing just in terms of some basics here. So I think the first thing that needs to happen from a leadership perspective is to realize leaders often sit around and think about changes for days, weeks, and months on end. And then they have this magic moment where they think they announce a change and everybody will be like, oh, brilliant, let's go do it. (laughs) And they haven't taken people on the journey with them. The journey of why are we going through this change? What's driving this? What needs to happen? And so when leaders make a proclamation of a change, it looks like monologue. I'm going to tell you and you'll be excited and you'll go do it. And I think one of the key things that can happen for leadership is have your story, but then engage in a dialogue. And if you can start to engage in a dialogue, you'll understand where there might be uncertainty, doubt, fear. And it will allow you to iron out a lot of the wrinkles that start to exist. So much so that I I even invite leaders to come up with a list of what are all the questions my people are going to ask me that I don't have answers for and I hope they don't ask. And by coming up with that list, it gives them permission to realize I don't have all the answers. So let me engage my people and and create a dialogue around what we're going to do here. So that's one big thing as a best practice. Maybe I split that into two. One, have a clear story and message around what's changing and why, and then engage in a dialogue. Let your people be part of the solution. And if I turn that coin over and I say, oh, I'm an individual, and this feels like it's happening to me, the same questions need to be answered. You just may have to ask the questions. What's changing? Why is it changing? And what's the potential impact on me? And I think that if people can just pause and get really clear on those things. It helps them get to a better entry point into the change. Still a lot to do, 
but it will give individuals and leaders some real engagement and dialogue around the change, which so often gets overlooked. Yeah. And employee engagement is one of those phrases that is always buzzing in the HR space, but the way you're talking about it, about like having them involved in the process or having them understand the process really, like you said, helps facilitate that change and it makes them feel involved, I imagine. That's right. It does. Yeah. And the minute you can have an employee workforce or, or you know a team or whoever it is, recognize this change isn't happening to me. It's being done with me. And I'm, I'm a voice in this. The creativity goes up. And what gets turned off is the reptile brain that says, I better protect myself, which is why your early stats are so important. Such a large percentage of changes, 50, 70% fail to reach their intended outcome. Why is that? Well, people are programmed to think, oh no, something's happening to me. I have to protect myself. So you instantly get resistance. You instantly get this pushback. But when you flip that and you engage people and you invite them in, then that's where the engagement goes up and the resistance goes down because people realize, hey, I'm part of this. I can influence this. I can make a difference. That's a really great way to talk about that. And that also makes me think of change fatigue and how like after repeated changes, like whether it's in the personal life, interfering with the professional life, like you said, that reptilian brain turns on and people get defensive. So what can leaders do besides that like open line of communication to help reduce that sort of fatigue? Change fatigue is a real thing, right? There's no, anybody listening shouldn't be saying, oh, that's not real. This is a real thing. And it's real for probably two significant reasons. The first one is we're going through a lot of change. <laughs> and, and, and the second one is we're doing a lousy job leading it. So people think every time it reloads, there's just a reason to think, oh, here we go again. What do you do about it? First of all, we present an idea called the change model. And the change model talks about four unique zones that we move through as we go through a change. They look like a J-shaped curve with a little, maybe at the start of that, a little flat line approaching the J. And the dip part of it, right, the ladle part of it, the bottom part represents two of the zones, disruption and adoption. Those two zones are a cost related to change. They might be an emotional bank account cost. They might be an employee engagement cost. They might be a tangible cost, right? Maybe it impacts costs of materials. Maybe it impacts production costs. Maybe it impacts revenue. Whatever it is, those middle two zones in the change process are a cost. And one of the costs will be related to your employees and their level of fatigue. So coming back to your question of how do you avoid that? Well, recognizing there's a cost and then recognizing there's a recovery period and a preparation period, leaders need to give people time and space for the celebration we made it through and the preparation for the next change, as well as recognizing if we're going to introduce another change, are we prepared for that cost? The human capital cost, the tangible economic cost, whatever they might be, but are we ready for that? Is that wise? What will that do to employee morale? What will it do to engagement? What will it do to attrition? Right? Those are all outcomes that happen when people have that change fatigue, they'll start to take matters into their own hands. So recognize that there's something going on there in the change process and be intentional about it rather than just try and force everybody, work harder, work harder, do more. We've got to get through this change. If 
you introduce some intentionality, you'll, you'll see that you can help manage that. What logistically does it look like to have a people-first approach to change management beyond like keeping them at the front of your minds? So historically, a lot of change management has been, what is the process we need to go through? What's the checklist? What are all the things we need to accomplish? And when you take that approach, it's easy to bring in somebody from the outside and then give you that list. And it presupposes a couple of things. One, that our people don't add any expertise or value, which is flawed. And it also says that there's an unlimited resource in our people's energy and capacity. Not that process isn't an important part of how we go through change, but it's the people part of it that makes it happen. So recognize that people that you hire and employ have an expertise around your business. And if you can engage them, then you leverage that. They're smart enough to figure out most of the process stuff. It's very rare that you need this army of consultants to give you that. They understand what your business needs. And then as you look at taking them through the four zones that we talked about, the first zone is status quo. And in that zone, what you really want to do from a people side of change is help them prepare for what's coming next. Understand if there are new skills, new tools, new capability, whatever it is that helps them be ready for changes that might be coming. So preparing your people for change. In the zone of disruption, which is the second zone, got to keep in mind that you need to clarify. People are living with uncertainty. And so you're seeing sometimes the very worst in people because it's an emotional space, the zone of disruption. And if you can help them clarify, then what you're doing is you're shifting that reptilian mindset towards an engagement mindset and you get your people involved. In the third zone, the zone of adoption, rather than a leader disconnecting from the change, because a lot of their work's done. They figured out the strategic part. But if they stay engaged and they can help people celebrate progress, they can pick people up if there's something that doesn't work and we learn from it. And they can help clear the path, get things out of the way so that people are empowered to make the change happen. And then in the fourth zone, the people-centric idea is let's tell the story of our change. Let's get curious around why some things worked, why some things didn't and ask the question about the things that worked. I wonder what else that could lead to and where could there be additional benefit? So prepare, clarify, reinforce, support, sustain, clear the path right in that zone where we're doing a lot of the work. And then in the final zone, get curious, get really curious around what's working. And if you do that, every one of those one word statements is a engage your people kind of thing along the change process. Definitely. Yeah. It feels very um, holistic in its approach because like you have the management and the big decisions going on behind the scenes. But like you said, you're not leaving your people in the dust. You're bringing them up to speed. You're walking alongside them as things happen. That's right. The other thing that happens is if leaders stay engaged in the change, they may be less inclined to race ahead to the next change. And that'll help with the change fatigue because it keeps everybody aligned and together. Not that leaders shouldn't be looking out at the horizon and making strategic decisions that are future changes, but it will help you be more connected to where is my team, where is the organization with this change, and are we ready for the next one? Yeah, it makes me think of a metaphor. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Just learning how to pace and keep the energy going for success further down the line. 
So we've talked a lot about how to like keep people engaged and how to make sure that the change is facilitated in a productive way. So when it's all done properly, what effect does positive change or any sort of change, but when executed in a positive way, have on company culture, overall success, and like you said, employee engagement? There is a virtuous cycle with all of that. So one of the reasons we make changes is because we're looking for better outcomes, right? Better results. And so a well-executed change will start to produce better and better outcomes, however you define those outcomes. So that will inherently be positive. People will see that the change led to something better. And by the way, my data says that about 88% of people expect changes in an organization to lead to something worse for them. You're up against a real experience bias there, a mindset that says, oh, this could be really bad. But the minute you can start to see it's working, it's getting better results, that helps, right? That'll create some positive energy. It'll create some engagement. And it will help people feel connected to the fact that the organization is making successful moves with change. And it does. It starts to build this virtuous cycle because then you look back and you say, hey, the last change worked okay. That was pretty good. So the starting point is a level of higher trust, a level of higher engagement. And as you add more and more repetitions to that, you find that people get better. They develop change skills and change capability. And so all of that will influence employee engagement, employee trust between the organization and the teams and the individuals. And seeing the positive results, of course, helps everybody feel better about it. Definitely. Yeah. As like people talk about the future of work and changes that have happened like within our own society, like COVID and hybrid work or the emergence of AI and generative artificial intelligence, what other like rapidly changing areas of business do you think leaders should have an eye out for or anticipate could cause unease among their employees? Well, first of all, I love the list you gave. I don't think we should declare victory over all of those things. Yeah. I think those things will continue to influence the marketplace and the workplace for a while. I don't think we figured out the new world of work in terms of hybrid, remote. There's still a lot going on there, which is great. I think it's helping us get better. I talk to people that see all the benefits. So anyway, point is, I don't think we overlooked that. But if we were to add to that list, I think there's ongoing growth and change around diversity, around equity and inclusion. I see some remarkable things happen. I see some things we need to do better there. I think that will continue to drive change. You know, in the U.S. market and some of the Western European markets, we've got an aging workforce, which is interesting. Oh, definitely. People working a little longer, people still wanting to contribute and highly productive people. So there's, there's an age thing in the workplace, which means we're spanning more generations. We're spanning more mindsets around what work looks like. I think employee experience, especially with remote work and how you create culture and how you create engagement, I think employee experience is going to be something that leads to a lot of change. Employee well-being, of course, there's a lot of talk about that with health-related issues and balance. It's a big space. I think there's a lot going on. Part of what happens there is I think it makes the point that says, if I'm a leader, I am inevitably going to be leading people and teams through change for the rest of my career. Rather than think, I'm just going to suck it up or endure it or fight my way through it, why not develop some capability, some competency to lead your people through it? Rather than manage change, why not develop some capability to lead change, to lead your people through it so that it yields better outcomes, it keeps your workforce engaged and positive and 
collectively you can produce better results because change isn't going away. Just look at our list, right? It's, it's not going away. Yeah. And the things that were changing even just like five years ago are completely different than things are, that are going to change in another five years. Change is always changing. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome to think about though. So I actually ask this of all of my guests. Since this episode airs on a Friday, what are you looking forward to this weekend? I am. I, I spend about half my working time in the UK. So I'm in England this week, the end of this week and next. Oh, cool. I'm going to be on the Isle of Wight on Friday with a friend. That's a little island off the South Coast. So I'm looking forward to that. And then on Saturday, I've got a country walk and a castle I'm going to that I've never seen. Oh, that's so cool. And I'm going to connect with some friends on Sunday. So I've got a great weekend planned. Yeah, I hope the, I have no idea what the weather looks like across the pond, but I hope the weather holds out for you, <laughs> at least on your country walk and all your activities with your friends. Well, when you're in England enough, you know, you just put on the wellies and a raincoat and you do it no matter what. So it'll be great. That's true. And Curtis, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, so great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.